I got to say, it's so exciting to be here, to be a part of what God is doing um, in and through Journey North Church. And before we jump into what I have to say, let me just open this part with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for each person that's here. I know that um, you didn't bring any of us here by accident. We may have thought we were here for our reasons, but we know you brought us here. Our prayer, Father, is that we would each hear from you and that our answer to you, our response to you, no matter what you ask of us, would be yes. My prayer, Father, is um, the, the churches in this community and this city that are preaching the gospel of the good news of Jesus, um, some even now, uh, my prayer, Father, is that each of those churches would boldly proclaim your truth, that each of them would grow, each of them would reach people for Jesus, and we would see a wave of the Spirit in this community like we've never seen before. We thank you in advance for what you're going to do in and through us, and we love you. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we are starting a new series today from this day forward, and it is with fear and trepidation on my part, but that's a whole other story that we'll get into at another time. But I'd like to ask you, could I see your hands? Raise your hands. Some of you are like, why? Why? Okay. I just wanted to make sure you could, all right? <laughs> because I'm going to be asking a few questions and I want to make sure that, it's, that you can do that. So first one, this is for the ladies. Um, how many of you, ladies, you for, it seems like forever, you've dreamed of getting married, you've dreamed of the wedding, you have it all planned out, you had the perfect house planned out, you had your kids named before you even met your husband. Can I see your hands? Yes, many, many. Men, how about you? How many of you dream that? No, don't. <laughs> We're going to have to have a different series for that. Men, honest, how many of you dreamed, of, when you dreamed of marriage, you dreamed of having sex twice a day and three times on Sunday? Can I see your hands? Okay. The honest men. Now, a question for both of you. How many of you are still dreaming? <laughs> right? Right? We know just from looking, I just feel like somebody's behind me and they're not. I keep looking. Now everybody's looking back there and it's making me feel like there is. We look around us. We see sometimes in our own homes, in our own families, with friends, we look around and we see what's happening with marriages. We see what's happening and sometimes we wonder, is a great marriage even possible? Well, the answer is emphatically yes. It is possible, but it's not likely if you do what everybody else does. If you do what everybody else does, it may be possible, but it's not likely. That's why it's happening all around us. You've all heard the statistics. 50% of marriages in this country don't make it. 50% don't make it. Of those that do, many of them are miserable. And some of them are just sticking it out, you know, until the kids are gone or whatever. But 50% don't make it. Of those, many are miserable. And seriously, what other area of our life would 50% be okay? If there was a 50% chance that Monday you would lose all of your money, would you do something different? Would you change things a little bit? If you were going on a trip 
and they told you at the airline counter when you checked in, there's a 50% chance this plane will crash. (laughs) How many of you are still getting on the plane? Oh, I'll get on, but I think I need that insurance stuff. We wouldn't get on the plane if there was a 50% chance of that. If there was a 50% chance when you left this room today that you would be attacked by a herd of 100 people-eating rodents of unusual size, how many of you would change what you do? I'm not going out that door. I'm going out 50%. And yet, this to me is crazy. You have to, in order to get a driver's permit, you have to take a class You have to pass a test. In order to get a marriage license, you have to be able to spell your name correctly. (laughs) Pretty much it. It's no wonder we have issues. We're going to do this this series, and I want to share with you something that um, I said. I have to do the math. I said it almost 32 years ago. Okay? I said, I, Tim take you, Julie, to be my wife. To have and to hold, and how many of you know what the next line is? From this day forward. You want to know, to me, those are the most encouraging words in the universe. Because some of you are saying, you don't know where I'm at right now. You don't know what I'm going through. I'm not talking about that. Our series is starting right now. This is about from this day forward. Have you made mistakes? Yes. Has there been things that have happened that shouldn't have happened? Yes. Are there issues? Yes. From this day forward, we're going to make changes. That's what I said 32 years ago. From this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poor. But I'm pretty sure she said for richer, for richer. I'm not sure. I don't remember hearing the poor part of that. In sickness and in health, forsaking all others, that means being faithful to you and only you. As long as we both shall live. And then the next part is the part that makes it all work. So help me, God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, too many people, when they say that, so help me, God, they say it kind of like a... Uh, a declaration like, oh, so help me God. That's how they're saying it. That's not what it means, and that's not how we're supposed to think about it. All of the things that were promised in that vow, those are pretty much impossible to maintain over a lifetime without God helping. You see, what that needs to be is that needs to be a prayer, not a declaration. It needs to be a prayer. So help me, God. This is what I'm promising. Help me, God, to make it work because that's the way I want it. That's what we have to say. It's about Him doing that. So we're going to start this series today. It's a five-week series, and this is for everybody, as I'll explain in a moment. But we're going to look at five things. And um, I have a treat for you, actually. This is a, we're, we're doing the series that another church has done, and one of the weeks, possibly two, you won't have to hear me do it. You're going to hear the person who did it do it, and you will absolutely love it, but I'm not going to tell you which weeks those are. You just have to show up, because I don't want you all not coming until that guy does it, okay? But th- I want to share with you, and it's going to be on the screen, if you haven't... Um, 
I have some announcements, but I'm not going to do that until the end. In your worship folder, there is a, an outline for you to follow along. There's some things you'll want to write down. But this is what we're going to do over the next five weeks, and I just want you to have this whole thing in your head. I want you to be able to say it and hear it and know what we're going to do. Today, number one, we're going to make these commitments over five weeks. We're going to commit to seek God. That's the first one, seek God. The second week, we're going to make a commitment to fight fair. I talk to couples all the time in premarital counseling. Sometimes even afterwards they talk and, and it's like, before they get married, there's too many couples like, oh, we never fight. It's like, just wait. It's coming. It's not that we're going to say you shouldn't fight. We're going to figure out how to fight fair because there is a way to fight that honors God, okay? The third week, we're going to, one of my personal favorites, have fun. That's what we're going to look at, having fun. And number four, staying pure. So seek God, fight fair, have fun, stay pure. And then number five, the fifth week, we're going to look at never give up. Never give up. These are the five things that um, if you just listen to them and walk away, nothing's going to change. If you realize that God speaks to you and there is a commitment that you need to make and you make, com- make that commitment, your life can change. It can begin to change for the better and good things happen. So we're going to talk today about seeking God. And one of the problems is, you know, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be blessed. Everybody wants all that. But too many people are seeking a spouse to make them happy. Maybe they're married and they're they're seeking their spouse to make them happy. Or maybe they're not married and they hope to be, but they're seeking a spouse to make them happy. You hear it all the time. We hear it like this. I think I've met the one. I need to find the one, you know? And we hear it, TV, movies, you won't be fulfilled until you meet the one. You know what I'd like to hear once? I'd like to hear somebody who understands what following Jesus is about saying, you know what? I think I met my two. Because here's the truth. Write this down. God is your one. Your spouse is your two. Now, as I was going over this this week, I decided to try it out. And so I go up to Julie, and I get up early in the morning, go downstairs and study, and then you know, I come up and say good morning to Julie, and I come up and I greeted her with, oh, it's so good to see my two. <laughs> not knowing how it would go over or not. She got a really funny look on her face. It's like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that. The reason she had a funny look was because she had had a dream that night. And in a dream, God, you know what words God said to her? He said to her, Julie, I, God said to Julie, I am your one. He said that to her that night. And then that morning I say, oh, how is my two? (laughs) That was very encouraging to me because it shows that God really is working. You see, when God says, uh, when, when we say God's your one, that's like, goes back to the very first, you know, that's the first commandment, God's your one. When, when they asked Jesus, you know, the most important commandment, Jesus didn't say, oh, the person you're married to, you need to, you know, that's not what he said. We talk about this all the time. This is actually wired into the very DNA of our church. In Matthew 22, when they asked Jesus what's most important, he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Mark even adds strength. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There is nothing more important than loving God. That's where it starts. God is your one and your spouse is your two. I've told you this all the time. I've said this many times here. In my life, God is number one. Julie is number two. 
My kids are number three. You guys are number four. I'm sorry if you thought it was going to be higher, but it's four and it's not going up any more than that. But that's, that's how I've patterned my life. I, um, I, I was concerned about doing this series. And one of the reasons is because in my head, I think, well, we have these, we have these married people. And if I do a series on marriage, they're going to get this and this and this. And I have all these single people, you know. I learned an interesting statistic this week. This is from the U.S. Census Bureau. So this isn't some random couple people sampled, extrapolate from that. This is what the Census Bureau says about America. 27% of the adults in America have never been married. So more than a quarter of the people in our country have never been married that are adults. 6% have been widowed. Their spouse has passed away. 12% are divorced or separated. So allowing for a little fluctuation, it's about 45% of the people are single. 55% of the people are married. And we do too good a job talking to the 55%. We have to realize there's this 45% here too. So this is for everybody. And I recognize that we have numerous groups in here today. In fact, show of hands, how many of you here today are married? Raise your hands, okay? About 55%, I'm guessing. I have no idea. <laughs> How many here are not married? Okay, hands down. How many here are not married but would like to be someday, hope to be? Raise your hands. Okay, keep them up. Everybody look around. You never know. You just never know, okay? It's a good place to find someone, just saying. <laughs> Okay, if you're not married, for whatever reason, one of the reasons we mentioned before, whatever, and by the way, there is no category married but looking, all right? That category <laughs> does not exist. It should not exist. It's not an issue here. We're not going to go there, all right? But if you're not married and you hope to be, maybe you're not married and you don't want to be, that's okay, same, same category for this particular purpose. If you're married or if you're not married yet, and you hope to be or you're not married, here's what I pray will be the driving force for your life. Okay, write this down. I will seek the one, that's a capital O, the one, God, while preparing for my two. I will seek the one while preparing for my two. Because in all my years, all the marriages I've done, all the marriage counseling and premarital counseling I've done, I have never once had somebody come up to me and say, you know, Pastor Tim, we would really like to just have a crappy marriage. <laughs> and we'd like it to kind of have its ups and downs, but get worse and eventually split up. That's kind of our goal. Never had anybody say that to me. I have had a lot of people that behaved in such a way that that's what they believed because they caused that to happen, but nobody wants that. Everybody that I talk to wants a blessed marriage. They want, one, they want theirs to be one of the ones that not only makes it, but that thrives and that is a showcase. They want, most people who, who come through here and talk to me about it, follow Jesus, they want to serve God together. They want to be able to do that together. They want to have a successful marriage. They want to have successful kids. 
That's their desire. They want the financial blessings so they can be generous and so that they can give. They want that to be the pattern for their life. They want to make an eternal difference. All those things are good things to want. But here's what's important for you to understand. Don't seek those things. Seek God first. Because if you seek those things, I've watched this over and over and over. You seek those things, you know what you'll find? Nothing. It'll go like this, and each time it will dip lower. If you seek those things, you will never find what you're really looking for. You seek God, and you will. Here's how Jesus says it in Matthew 6.33. But seek first, that means first, priority, the number one thing that you're supposed to be seeking, His kingdom and His righteousness. We're seeking Him first. And then He says, all these things will be given to you as well. We worry so much about things that really aren't number one that we forget about what is number one and we don't understand why nothing works. You start with what's most important and then he adds all those things to you. So, if you're not married yet, you will be seeking the one while preparing for the two. I heard a story, very very sad story, a girl um, raised, raised uh, you know, in a, a family of believers, she followed Jesus, she was a Christian, and, and part of her high school youth group, and, and always knew that she wanted to marry a guy who loved Jesus. He was a, uh, she wanted to marry a godly guy who could, who could uh, lead the house in such a way that brought them to, to Jesus, and they, she had all those things she was looking for, that he loved her unconditionally, was a good leader, and, and just that's, she knew she always wanted that. She went away to college. Now, although she knew that she still wanted that, she started to to be attracted by all these other things that she saw around her, things that could make her feel good, things that could make her feel good about herself, things that could make her have fun. And so she started with the the scene that was there at her college, and she started with the the drinking too much, and she started with the drugs, and she started with the, the promiscuous relationships, and pretty soon it was going from guy to guy to guy to guy. But in the back of her head, she always knew that this wasn't going to be how I was going to spend my life. This is just what I'm going to do now. I'm still looking for that guy that's going to be a rock. He's going to be a godly guy. And later on in college, as she was living this lifestyle, she saw this guy. So in one of her classes, she saw him, and she knew, that's the guy. That's what I'm looking for. And when she was talking to her mom about it, she said something about it. She said, oh, I found this guy. This is, this is pretty exciting to me because he's everything I've wanted in a guy. You know, he loves Jesus. He's a, he's a good, godly person. He, he's, he's doing the right thing. He's got goals. He's going the right direction. And do you know what her mom said to her? You're not the kind of girl that a godly guy like that is looking for. Now, if that bugs you a little bit, it should. Because the bottom line in all of this is you need to become the type of person that you want to marry. You can't do this over here and say, I want this. That ain't going to happen. You need to become the type of person you want to marry. And you say, oh, well, it's too late for me. Nope, nope, nope. Remember the title of the series, From This Day Forward. I've made bad choices. I've done this, and, and the things that I've done, maybe the things that I'm doing are not the things that I would want my future spouse to be doing. From this day forward. 
we can make those commitments and we can become the type of person that we would want to marry. So, first, for the non-married, seeking the one while preparing for the two. And then, if you are married, this sounds so simple, but I guarantee it will change everything. I will always seek the one with my two. I will always seek the one with my two. Which means the one has to be what you're seeking above everything, and that's God. You seek Jesus, a relationship with Him. You seek Him above everything. Your spouse is your two. The problem is what we do is we get the order mixed up sometimes. And sometimes we do it for bad reasons because we're being stupid. And sometimes we think we're being so amazing when we do it. Oh, you're the most important thing to me. If you have someone in your life who is the most important thing in the world to you and it's not God, your life is going to crash and burn because he's number one. We put people, you put your spouse as number one, you are putting them into a place that they, they will not be able to succeed at. You're asking them to do something they're not capable of doing. When we get that order mixed up, I said, God is number one in my life, Julie is number two, my kids are number three, and you guys are number four. My kids is in my family, because I have to put some of my extended family in there too, because sometimes they listen to these sermons, and I don't want them to think I'm missing. So, hey guys, it's good to talk to you again. Um, but my church is number four. When that order gets mixed up, things go bad. That's what happens. You put the wrong thing, like for instance, some of you, you say, well, I'm not married. Well, then you know who your number two is? If you have kids, it's your kids. It's not your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's the person you have made a covenant relationship to, which is marriage. When you make that covenant relationship, you are covenanting with God and with them. They are now your number two. Until that happens, your kids are your number two, not the person you're dating at the moment. If we have the order mixed up, life goes south. And not as in Minnesota South. Oh, South sounds good. That's not the kind of South I'm talking about. It goes south in a bad way when we have the order wrong. See, what we end up doing is we end up idolizing and demonizing. I see this all the time. I see guys say, oh, she's so amazing. She's, she's confident. She's strong. She knows how to make decisions. She's, she's a go-getter. I just, she is amazing, and they idolize her. And then they get married. She's always right. She's always trying to push her way. She's always doing this. She's always doing that. And the exact same things they just said to me were good, all of a sudden are bad. They idolize and demonize. I see it all the time because they're in the wrong position. We ha- I, I, hear, I hear women. Yeah, this guy, he's not one of these pushy kind of people. He's not always pushing to get his way. He's not always saying, yeah, we need to do this or we need to do that. He can, he's really laid back and I really love that until they get married. And then it's, He's lazy. He never makes a decision. He's always sitting on a couch. He never has an opinion on anything. They idolize and demonize. It goes back and forth. Because what we do is we seek what we really need and want in that person instead of God. We have to have that order correct. Remember, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. If you do it his way, he will do that for you. If you don't do it his way, it will go bad and you can't blame him because he warned you. He said, do it this way. So how do we seek God? As a a single person, how do I seek God? 
while I'm preparing for my two, while I'm trying to make myself that kind of person, how do I seek God? If you're married, how do we seek God together? How do I do that? Um, the Bible is, is just full of, of places that talk about seeking God because God wants, he's not like hiding from you. He wants to be found. He wants you to find him. But not everybody does and not everybody looks. In Psalm 10, it says this, in his pride, the wicked, the person who's not looking for God, the person who thinks they know, wicked is basically sin. Sin is basically, I'm doing it my way instead of God's way. The wicked does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. He says to himself, nothing will shake me. I'll always be happy and never have trouble. I have heard that so many times. They're not looking for God, but they believe they have all the answers. What I found in life is the more broken the person is, the more they think they know all the answers. And I want to say, you realize your situation, right? And you probably don't have all the answers. That's what this is saying. You don't seek God and you say, I'll be happy and never have trouble. You are asking for trouble because you're not seeking Him. In 1 Chronicles 28, it says this, Worship and serve Him, God, with your whole heart, with a willing mind for, and you may not have realized this, you need to know this, so for the Lord sees every heart and knows every plan and thought. He sees everything. He knows every heart. He knows every plan. He knows every thought. You're not hiding anything from him. And it says, if you seek him, you will find him. That's his promise over and over again. If you seek him, you will find him. And that's true. We know that's true. If we really want something, we find it. You have bad cell phone service. Your contract is coming up. You want better cell phone service. You're going to look. You're going to seek. We went two years and basically hardly ever made a phone call because we had no service. It was horrible. So I, I talked to everybody. I actually had people come to my house. They thought it was because I really wanted to see them. <laughs> I knew that they had the kind of phone I wanted, and I wanted them to walk around to various places in the house and see if they had signal. <laughs> before I could. If you really want good cell phone service, you'll find it, right? You're not just going to pick something that's no good. If you're looking for a place to get your hair done, I have no idea what that means. I'm just saying it. But if you're looking for a place to get your hair done, if you really want to find it, you will. And what you'll do is you'll ask people. You'll go up to ask somebody, where do you get your hair done? You know, and then you'll say, not there, not there. Or you'll see something really nice and you'll say, that might be a good place. But if you're looking for it, if you seek it, you'll find it. You want to find a place where pizza's good. Where can I find a good pizza restaurant? If you're interested, you'll find it. You'll ask people, you'll seek, and you'll find it. It's just like you lose your car keys. Is it like, oh, well, I lost my car keys? No, because car keys don't cost a buck and a half to make anymore. They cost like $200 if you lose your car keys. And so if we really want it, we seek it, and we find it because the more important it is, the harder we'll search. That's how it works for us. So if having that relationship with God, if you realize that if I have to seek Him first to have all these other things that I really want, that becomes my primary thing, you'll seek Him and you'll find Him. If you don't make that first, you'll keep making your own decisions. I know that God said this, but if I do this, it makes me happy. I know what the outcome is that, of that's going to be. And I warn people about that. It might make you happy at the moment. Long term, you're not going to like what happens. Seek Him first. That's how it works. So in everything you're doing, you seek Him. That means you look for Him. 
You look for where he's working in your life because he is working in your life. Too many people only see the bad things and blame that on God. You see this bad thing that happened to me? God must not love me. It's like, seriously? He just did 10,000 amazing things for you. He, does, he, he, has, he allows one thing in your life to help you grow and now you're blaming God for everything. I read this this week and this is my new thing from now on. I have people all the time that say good and bad about joining our church. When they say bad about it, I just take it with a grain of salt. If it's something we need to change, I, we work on changing it. That's not an issue with me because I'm not here to please them. Um, I am here to please God. And when somebody says something good about joining in our church, I, I have a, a new way to say what I've tried to say all along here. We blame anything good on Jesus. Because if it's good, it's from Him. And the truth is, as bad as your life may seem, there are good things. There are things in your life that God is orchestrating to try to bring you back. Things that wouldn't have happened otherwise and you have to look for him. Watch to see where he's working. Because if you're, if you're seeking him, you know what he's doing? He's seeking you. He's trying to woo you back. He's trying to get you to see him. So I'm not saying this is some, when I say seek God, this is not some real big, okay, as a couple, we have to sit down and have devotions for two hours and we have to do this. That's not what, that's not what I'm talking about. That's, you know, if I don't do this, oh, my whole family's going to fall apart. That's not what we're talking about. What I'm talking about is you need to see God woven into everything you do. Because it's not about church on Sunday. It's about God being woven into every part and facet of your life. And there will be parts and facets of your life that you will think about in the next hour or so that you'll say, well, I really don't want God in that part. And because you've forgotten earlier where it said he knows every thought, he knows every plan, he knows every heart. He wants to be woven in every part of your life to see him woven into that. Now, I could share a whole bunch of ways to seek God. I'm going to tell you a couple different ways that I do, but what I want to do today is just tell you one thing. It's one thing that I guarantee will change your life. Okay? Here's the one thing that you can do to seek God. Whether you're a couple or not, here's the one thing you can do. If you're a couple, especially, pray. Pray together every day. Now, when I say that, I understand that some people hear that and it's a good thing. Some people hear that and it's a scary thing. It's extremely important, and I know from experience that it works. Here's what it says in Second Chronicles. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and what? Seek. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. And I can apply that to he will heal that relationship. It starts with coming to God together in prayer. Now, I know for some people, it's like, well, that's, that sounds too simple. And it sounds too simple, but it's like, are you doing it? No, but it's simple because they want a complicated answer. There are some people I know when they hear that, they start shaking. It's like, I can't do that. I can't pray out loud. I can't do that. You know, I'm not asking you to sit down and have, a, have this amazing big flowery prayer that's going to go on YouTube, that's going to have a million hits, that's going to go viral, that has all the these and thous and youists and thouists in it. That's not what we're talking about. Sometimes it's just as simple. You just have to make it easy. It's as simple as praying before you eat. It's as simple as, as saying something to God. It doesn't have to be this thing, uh, God, um, help her have a good day today. 
you know. And, and if you have to end it with a, then do that. That's okay. But there is power in prayer. There is power in a couple praying out loud. Because I've learned over the years, it's hard to pray with someone you're mad at. It's hard to be mad at someone you're praying with. You need to be able to sit down with that person and come to God and talk. It's huge. It's hard to want to divorce somebody that you're praying with and you're seeking God with. It's hard to have an affair on someone that you're seeking God together with. We have to do that every day. It's not something, yep, did that, now what's next? Every day for the rest of your life, as many ways as you can. So what about me? How have I done this? Have I passed the test? Well, the answer is no, but I'm learning. Here's what Julie and I do. Here's how we seek God. We pray together. We've started from the very beginning to pray together. We've prayed together about the big things, the huge things in life. You know, do we, do we quit these jobs? Do we move here and do this ministry? Do we have, you know, raise our kids here? Do we do those huge decisions, the big decisions in life that we had to make? All of those we prayed about together. But everything, what movie we go see, you know? And it's not that we're always, you know, this holy, you know, it's, here's what's happened. We pray together. We read God's word together. There is, I would say there's almost not a day goes by that we don't discuss something about God's word that either she has read or that I have read that we have questions about. And we talk with each other about it. I don't believe in 32 years that a day has gone by that we haven't done that. We spend time in God's word together. We worship together, although we can't do it in church like we'd like to because I kind of um, up here. I've always thought it was hilarious. Julie's had a number of people over the years come up to her, and one lady comes up to her and puts her arm around her and says, I am so sorry. And Julie's like, what? She says, I'm so sorry that you have to come to church alone, that you don't have anybody to be here with. She says, well, I'm kind of here with somebody, but they're busy at the moment. <laughs> and they didn't realize that we were together because we were doing different things. But we do worship here together. But we also, throughout the week, because worship isn't just music, worship is life, we do that together. We do that together in the car through music. We do that together at home. We, we figure out ways to point each other to Him, to worship together. You kind of create these spiritual traditions. You do things that help. The, the basically, I could just say we're doing life with God. That's what we've done for over 30 years. We've done life with God. Because it's about everything that we do, say, think, breathe, smell, wear, go, everything. God is number one. In our life, here's what Proverbs 3 says Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In some of your ways that you're not embarrassed about or don't, don't want to give to God, then lean on Him. Is that what it says? No. It says, In all your ways. And some of you are saying, Well, I know that there's this one thing I'm doing that I shouldn't be doing. Well, then guess what? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In that way, acknowledge Him. Seek Him, and He will make your path straight. You see, for us, this is not about a list of things that we do. 
God is woven into every area of our life. There's not an area of our life that God is not in, that He is not in control of, that we do not let Him have the final say. He is woven into every area of our life. I heard this week, well, somebody, I've had people ask me, not this week, but I've had people ask me, what does it look like at your home? I hear what you're telling us here. What's it like at your home? And it's like, well, it's not like church, but it kind of is. Is it perfect? Nope. You know why? Because I married a sinner. And Julie married a bigger sinner. (laughs) We're broken people. But we're broken people who are seeking God first. And when that happens, those situations, God can turn around. When you seek Him, you can have the things that you really want. I heard this week, family life is a place that does stuff for for, um, couples and helps people uh, in their relationship with God. They've done some great stuff, but they did a survey of literally thousands of Christian couples, okay? Thousands of Christian couples. And as as they surveyed these thousands of Christian couples, they learned something that was kind of shocking to me. Of all of these thousands of Christian couples that they surveyed, fewer than 8% pray regularly together just blew my mind. The exciting part of their survey, however, was this, that only 8% of Christian couples pray together regularly. Of that number, of that 8% that pray together regularly, fewer than 1% divorce. So let me ask you, are the odds better here? Does 50% sound good? Or does greater than 99% chance of making it sound good? Praying together every day. That simple thing. We just finished a series. Small things, big difference. It's the small things that nobody sees that have the big changes, the big results that everybody wants. You do that over and over and over again because the bottom line is seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and then all these things will be added to you. That's where we start. Because that relationship... That marriage relationship is the most important human relationship we have. But it's not the most important relationship we have. The most important relationship we have is with God. That marriage relationship is a covenant relationship. We're going to talk about that. It's not just a contract. It's not just two people who like each other or love each other or want to live together or play house. It's a covenant before God. When you do it God's way, it works better, I guarantee it. Because he said so. And he made us. Let's pray. Father, I know that there's people here that are going through all different kinds of things. They have a lot of different emotions based on what they've heard. Many of them are in relationships that we would look at and say, God, that's what we want to be like. We've seen them walk with you, we've seen their relationship, we've seen their love for you, and we want some of that to rub off on us. We want that. And Father, we know that there are people here who are in relationships that are struggling. They're in relationships where you are not first. I know that there's difficult relationships here, Father, where people are attempting to put you first, but the spouse isn't. 
I know, Father, that there's a lot of people struggling with this. But I know that there is nothing more important than seeking you. And so whatever boat people find themselves in, my prayer is what they would come to grips with is that my, my primary thing is to be seeking my one, and that's you, while preparing for my two or seeking my one with my two, that that's what's most important. And I pray, Father, that if there's anybody here who they hear that, but they don't have that relationship with you. They know it's about church, it's about religion, it's about rules, it's about all this garbage, but they don't understand what it is to have a personal, intimate relationship with you that they would say, you are my one. My prayer, Father, is they'd realize that's why you brought them here today. To hear that their way, doing it their way, has separated them from you. Doing things our way is called sin. We know that separates us from you, that the wages of sin is death, but that Jesus paid that price. So as we sang earlier, we could be dressed in his righteousness. And help, Father, anybody here who's never made that commitment to realize today is a day that from this day forward, they can follow you. They can be seen as a child of God. Because they've believed what you've said, they've received Jesus and what he did on the cross for their sins, not that they've understood it all, but by faith they've accepted it. And that you've opened their eyes then to see. And Father, for those here who have already experienced that, my prayer is that we would seek you first above all things, with our two if we are married, and in preparation for that if we're not. Father, we love you, and it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you need to seek him now because he is coming back soon. So stand and sing this final song with us.